0: Key number one, the best way to learn God's will is with a humble heart. So if someone tells you this is the best way to do something, what can you deduct from that? There's probably another way. I wouldn't recommend it. If you go any other direction other than humility to discern God's will, You may discover God's will, but there's going to be a lot of pain in that offering.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Fathers, we worship you. Fathers, we ask you to hallow your name in us. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd work. you to work in this place today. Would you move? Would you move in power? Would you move in might? Would You stir? Would You awaken us, O God? To be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God, as we give You this time, as we open Your Word, the truth, give us a submission to the Word like never before. Holy Spirit, we pray against the schemes of the enemy. His devices, his deceptions. Got to pray that you would have full reign in this place today, O oh God. And as you move, as you do the work, we will be quick to give you all the praise, give you all the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus. And all God's people said, "Amen." Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 86, verse 11, as we are over these next few weeks going to be talking more about prayer, studying more about prayer. We'll be journeying towards the cross and the empty tomb here. And God has prayer heavy on my heart, and I pray it's heavy on your heart that we would be people of prayer. There is something that happens when God's people pray. There is something that happens when God's people pray become dependent in prayer. There is just something that happens, the breakthrough that perhaps you're asking for today, that God would lead in the breakthrough in your life. Perhaps there's a challenge, an issue, a relational crisis, a a health issue, whatever it might be, that we know our God is able to do it exceedingly and abundantly more than we ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined. And we know that when we commune through desperate prayer we know that we commune with God we just know this when we commune with him through a prayer life that is focused on him and his glory he begins to move i was thinking about this this morning that i read recently about some christians in venezuela who were branded with crosses on the back of their skin They were etched with crosses. Uh, They were forced from this report to eat pages of the Bible. And I read that and I thought, wow. (laughs) There goes my complaining for the day. You know, it's just so easy to be comfortable, isn't it? And I believe God wants us to be uncomfortable. I believe He wants to shake off the rust. I believe God wants to shake us in a way that any sin patterns and bad habits that don't honor Him will be removed and crushed and any idols that are in my life and your life will be dismantled and cast into the fire because He's looking for worshipers that worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you think through that thought because if you've entered in this room today and I'm glad you're here, but if you've entered into this room today looking to be entertained, uh, looking to feel better about sin, you've got to understand this, that when we look to be entertained and feel better about our sin, well, we always leave empty. I mean, just think about this for a moment. You, you leave empty. There can be a brief moment where you, you feel a little better, but it always leaves us empty. There's something, however, that happens that when you come to be fed, when you are ready when the bible is open and the notepad is out and you're saying holy spirit man will you speak into my life today will you give me a word that i need for my life today there is something that happens in that person's heart where you leave full not in a i've been to golden corral full way no i'm talking you leave full like your heart has been filled with joy That's what the Word of God does. It's the most potent book ever written, and it has this great pendulum swing of convicting me when I read it. Not convicting me out of condemnation. I'm under the blood of Christ. But it convicts me in areas of sin that I need to get away from and flee from. But at the same time, it also encourages. It refreshes the soul. Once you think through that, here we are today and psalm 86 and just one verse and the title of the message today is simply this teachability and the fear of the lord question for me and question for you today are you teachable am i teachable question for me today and for you today are you humble am i humble kind of a trick question because if you tell people you're humble you're probably not real humble. But I think you get the point. Uh, You and I know whether we're teachable, coachable, and humble. And as you look at this one verse today in Psalm 86, here's what the psalmist David writes in verse 11. He says this, Teach me Your way, O Lord. Why? That I may walk in Your truth, Unite my heart to fear Your name. Let me read that again. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit as His Word is being taught today that He will speak to me and you like never before. Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me Your way, O Lord, that I may walk in Your truth Unite my heart to fear Your name. Now the context here is very interesting. We don't know exactly when in David's life he's writing this. David had an interesting life, amen? Uh, He's out on the the hill feeding the sheep and he learns he's going to be a king. That's an interesting announcement. But like all of us, at some point along the journey the intoxicating allure of self-worship and sin can be very, very ensnaring. And you know the story. He commits adultery. He then gets involved in a line pattern of of sin and deception and murder. His family is like the poster child for dysfunction. And there's so much pain, some self-inflicted for sure, in his life. And he's writing this psalm, Psalm 86, and there's such desperation. As you read this later, the first seven verses are all about him crying out to God. He's pleading with God. He is just crying out to God saying, God, will you help me? God, will you do something in my life? And then he pivots in verse 8 through 10, and he begins to extol the name of the Lord. How wondrous and great you are, God, he says. And out of that outflow of humility, he's on his back spiritually, emotionally, mentally in every realm and he's looking up and sometimes that's when God does the best work, amen? When we're on our back and he has our attention that he can begin to work, So many times in my life, I've seen this happen where I've rebelled against God, rebelled and rebelled, and finally I've given in. And it's almost like, not an audible voice that I've heard, but it's almost like God saying, finally, John, now we can get down to work. It's just amazing what happens when we go from a heart of rebellion and defiance to one of humility and teachability what God can begin to do in our lives. And the psalmist gets this, David gets this, he says, teach me your way. I mean, look at that in your Bible. This one verse has three heavy components for your life today. He says, teach me your way. In other words, this instruct, to direct, to point out. Here's what's so beautiful. When you study this in the Hebrew, it actually gives a picture, and I love pictures because it helps me understand things. It gives a picture of someone involved in archery. Now that's very intriguing, isn't it, for you that are archers? Bow hunters? You get the visual here. You have the arrow. You have the bow. You have a target. And you're aiming. You're aiming to hit the target. You're aiming to hit the bullseye. This is exactly what David, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, is asking the Lord. He's saying, God, I want You to teach me to aim to You and nothing else. It's so easy, though, in this flesh to aim at everything but God. The psalmist says, teach me. You can sense the desperation. You can sense this hunger, this thirst, this desire to be taught, the humility here. He's seeking to be submissive. And that's what's so important about the Word of God. When we're joyfully submissive to the Word, we will be submissive in all other areas of our lives. When we rebel against truth, rebel against the Word, that's where we're not submissive. And God has created this book, this glorious book, The Truth, for His glory and for my and your good. And you think about the psalmist David writing, teach me your way. How can I be taught something that I'm not willing to learn? How can I be taught something that I'm not intentionally pursuing? How can I be taught something that there's not a hunger and a thirst and a desire saying, God, I want You more than life. I want to make a difference. I don't want to lead this life having not made a difference. I want my family and my co-workers and my friends, I want them to come to know Jesus. Oh God, teach me your way, He cries out. I pray today, oh Lord, teach us to pray. You think about this thought of teaching. Who's being taught? Not a trick question. David me make it personal who's doing the teaching the lord so there it is the lord the self-existing one the great i am is doing the teaching and as you look at that he's saying teach me what god teach me your way it's interesting when i look at the scripture there and i pray you look at it as well do you notice David doesn't say, give me my way? I mean, don't miss this. This is key. He doesn't say, give me my way. He says, teach me your way. Well, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6? Sermon on the Mount. Our Father who is in heaven... Our father, our daddy, just like the little child in the crib, daddy walks in the room we go, there he is, there's my father, there's my daddy. I, I just love him. Hallowed, hallowed be your name in me. Your kingdom come, my kingdom be exterminated, your will be done, my will be crushed. Here's in the Psalms now, David says, teach me your way. But here's the challenge. We often pray for and we ask God to do something for us when we need to start asking God to do something in us. I think about your prayer life right now for just a moment. As I've thought about mine all week long. And so many of my prayers are asking God to do something for me. Is that a bad thing in and of itself? No. Here's where we get into the ditch of life though. The whole point as we follow the model of prayer is that we'd ask God to do something in us first. And that's hard. Those are big boy words. When you begin to pray God teach me your way. God, hallow your name in me. Don't allow this profession of faith to be false. Don't allow it to be a charade where I'm fooling everybody. No, God, teach me your way. Do something within me that causes this to be real, vibrant, so that people around me don't even see me. They just see Christ in me, the hope of glory as the Word of God dwells in me richly. That's why key number one is so important. Key number one in your notes. The best way to learn God's will is with a humble heart. Key number one, the best way to learn God's will is with a humble heart. So if someone tells you this is the best way to do something, what can you deduct from that? there's probably another way I wouldn't recommend it if you go any other direction other than humility to discern God's will you may discover God's will but there's going to be a lot of pain in that offering you say how do you know well we're going to talk about this in just a moment but first I want you to dial in to Isaiah 66. Write this down. Isaiah 66. We're looking at verse 2, part B. Just think about this. Isaiah 66, 2b. Here's what it says. The prophet Isaiah, who suffered greatly for the cause of God and His glory. This is what God says, but this is the one to whom I will look. Pause there for a moment. By a show of hands today, Who would like God to look upon you besides me? Amen? I want God to look upon me. He who is what, church? Humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at what? My word. When's the last time you and I opened this glorious book, the Bible, and you began to tremble? I mean, you began to tremble. You're just like, this is just amazing. This is the great God. There is no other. And I get in this book, and yes, it convicts at times and challenges. I get refreshed. Oh God, I tremble at Your Word. So often we don't tremble at God's Word because the reality is we don't really tremble and fear Him. Right there. Look at that. Right there in His Word. On this one I will look. An unteachable Christian is actually a contradiction in terms. I've been around people over the years who you ask someone else, you know, what, what comes to your mind about so and so? And, oh, he, she, they're, they're unteachable, okay? Not a good start to the conversation. It's a contradiction. I mean, the whole point, think about this if you are here today and you claim to be a believer in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, Do you think He's really going to go on throughout your life allowing you to be unteachable? Of course not. Doesn't make any sense. The whole point about this is that there would be more of Him and less of me, less of you as we grow in Christ's likeness. As we are on this path called sanctification, it's a big word which just simply means this, ongoing change. Question for me and you today, truthfully, am I or you becoming more like Jesus? You think through these thoughts and and they're so penetrating because this teachability is so, so key. This humility is so, so key. Think about this thought from James. Write this down. James chapter 4, verse 6. We studied this in depth. What is the opposite? I ask rhetorically, what is the opposite of being humble? And you would say, church, being prideful. So marinate on this for just a moment. So here we are. We have two camps. You're either in humility or you're in pridefulness. And you can't fall into the middle because the middle is the fence and Satan owns the fence. Just read Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea. And and what does James 4, 6 says? Well, it says this, but he, but God gives more grace. And we love that part of the verse. Amen. We love the grace part. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've heard people say this, well, he's a prideful, she's a prideful Christian. Again, contradiction in terms. If someone is habitually living in pride and not coachable, not teachable, they're not asking God, teach me your way. I want your way. And so many times, here's what God does. He allows us to get into a position in life where we have nothing else to turn to. He will allow heartache and pain and disappointment into my life and your life. And so many times, He's trying to shake us to the core, trying to say, wake up, wake up. He does it because He's a good, good Father. I love that line in the song where it says, we are all searching for answers that only He can provide. Isn't that good? I mean, just think about that verse. Verse. God, we're all just searching for answers that only You can provide. What are we saying? Oh God, teach me Your way. Take every bit of me, oh God, and just like a sponge, just begin to wring me out. Don't allow any self in there any longer. Turn it one time, turn it twice, and turn it again. Just get every bit of me out, oh God. You say, why? Well, right there in James, it tells me God opposes the proud. What does James 3.16 tell us? Not on your notes, nor on the screen. But think about this. We went over this as well. Where there is jealousy, envy, and selfishness, there you will find confusion in every evil thing. (laughs) Kind of sums up our world, doesn't it? The me monster, the me planet, the me universe. It gets infiltrated into our homes, our businesses, our ball teams, our churches. And we wonder why they're such a wreck. Imagine right now, like right at this very moment, if every person across America inside a church right now would begin to cry out, not externally, could be external, but from a heart of the internal motive, we all begin to cry out, oh God, I'm going to draw a circle around myself. And God, I want you to teach me your way. Can you imagine what would happen? I think we would see literally the next great awakening. But there's that toddler that's so resistant that doesn't want to be taught his way. We want to go our own way. What does David say next? The second part. Well, here's the why in the prayer. That I may do what? That I may walk in your truth. So, in other words, this, God, teach me for this purpose. So, when he says walk, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, you'll see this. He's not referring to going down to the YMCA and getting on the treadmill, he's talking about literally how you and I conduct our lives. Walk in this way, conduct your life in this way. So here's the why that I might conduct my life in what? See, we're all conducting our lives in something. In what? In your truth. There's only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I, I know it sounds exclusive because it is. It is exclusive. He's not a way. He's the way. The truth and the life. The most unloving thing you could say to someone is to try to give them a pass and say somehow they can go around Jesus to get to God. That's the most unloving thing you can do. We love people and we speak truth in their lives so they don't walk in error. How they respond to that is up to them. Do you continue then not proclaiming truth into that person? Of course you don't. I was thinking through that thought, and it led me to key number two. Write this one down. Key number two, a person who truly desires to live for the Lord will truly desire to walk in his truth. So key number two, a person who truly desires to live for the Lord will truly desire to walk in his truth. One person said this a while back, I remember reading it years ago. But they said this, when you cast the truth upon the table, it typically divides the room. So now just think about that for a moment. Just marinate on that thought. When you cast the truth, especially talking about the truth, the truth of God's Word, it typically will divide the room. Why? Well, let's just think very, very elementary here for a moment. You have truth and then you have falseness. Again, there's nothing in between when you have truth and falseness, you have truth over here and you have Jesus. Over here you have the enemy. Over here, what do you have? With Jesus and truth, you have light. Over here you have falseness and the enemy and you have darkness. Now, when you read the Gospel of John, we love John 3.16. We see it in the middle of the field goal posts at beloved football games. And it's a great thing, right? But so often we forget about reading the remaining point of chapter 3 and you read 17 and following it says this that men love the darkness and they hate the light why lest their evil deeds be exposed see when someone is walking in darkness and it can be a charade like we can do all the right things and people that are good manipulators have this mastered and they will say all the right things they will react the right way but if the heart is truly rotten to the core at some point in the journey, it's going to be exposed for what it is. However, those people will go to great lengths. I'm talking great lengths to make sure they don't get exposed. That's the deceitfulness of darkness. If we're not joyfully submitting to God's Word, if we don't come here in gatherings going, "Man, I just want to be fed by the Word. I don't want to be entertained I'm looking to grow deep because I know Monday morning's gonna hit. I know I gotta go to that job work site and you know that person in the cubicle next to me, they're the spawn of Satan. And if I get just a bunch of fluff, how am I gonna rely on that when Monday morning hits? Now we should be pleading, we should be pounding on the door of heaven, God, I want to walk in your truth. God, teach me. Oh God, teach me today. And yet we live in a culture, as you know, that applauds people when they rebel. We live in a culture that applauds people when they're defiant. That's the culture we're in. Why? Because they hate Jesus. You can say the name of God, and you'll get, you know, okay, that's okay. Because that can mean anything to people, right? They can say God, go, okay, wait a minute, I can kind of, I can fashion that to whatever I want. You say the name of Jesus, buckle up. By the way, be cautious. Be careful, I warn you. If you pray a prayer that people will see Jesus in you, get ready. Because those who don't want to see Jesus in you will let you know. Does that mean we don't do that? Of course not. We stand for the truth regardless of the consequences. That's why Jeremiah 23-29, I love Jeremiah, the weeping prophet He had an easy life, didn't he? No. Man, it was brutal. He was in derision. He was the laughing stock all day, depressed, discouraged. And here's what he says as he gives this prophetic word. He says, "...is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces." oh, whatever you're dealing with today, go to the Word of God. Mind the Scriptures. Search it out. We have more resources than ever before, and yet I believe we're more biblically illiterate than ever before. Sometimes what happens is we have so much, we get too comfortable. Get in the Word and dig deep and ask God. Say, God, teach me Your way. Teach me, God. Make me more like Jesus. I just don't want to be a casual Christian any longer. I don't want to be partially in because that means I'm really out. Oh God, teach me Your way. There's something so encouraging about John 17, 17. I love this. Pretty easy to remember. Amen, church? John 17, 17. Here it is. High priestly prayer. Jesus speaking. He says, sanctify them by Your truth. Did you catch this? Your Word is truth. For you that remember the message about the Lord's Prayer, and out of the gate, our Father who's in heaven, hallow be Your name. Hallow Your name in me is what is being said there. Make me different. Change me from the inside out. What does that word hallow mean? Do you remember? It means to sanctify Right here, the dot is now connected in John 17 as Jesus prays for the believers, for Himself, for the disciples. He says, sanctify them. How? By pop psychology? No. By what the world says? No. By your truth. There is only one truth. Church, do not be deceived. There is only one truth, and His name is Jesus sanctify god by the power of the holy spirit right now would you sanctify every person in this room by your truth oh god by your word would you do a work that only you can do my prayer for me and my prayer for you you say well what about this prideful thing well write down first john 1 5 through 10 powerful back and forth here of the grace of God and the hammer of God here it is 1 John 1 5 through 10 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you I think we heard that before proclaiming that God is light and in him is no darkness at all praise God amen here it is though here goes the pendulum back and forth in these verses see where you fall If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, here it is. We have fellowship with who? One another. There it is. So what happens is we have the fellowship broken horizontally because we're walking in darkness. But when we walk in the light, there's freedom. There, there's no longer the bondage and enslavement. And some people, I believe, the conscience has been so seared of walking in the darkness for so long, all while attending church, that they're oblivious to the darkness they're in. Here's what happens: What happens if we turn out all the lights in here, board up the windows, put black tape, black paper? At first, it's going to be really, really dark. But one day will pass, and two, and a week, and a month, and a year. And guess what happens to your eyes? They begin to adjust to the dark. There are so many people in churches today that have been living in darkness for years. They're acclimated to it. And they have no clue how deep they've sunk. See, John tells us as we continue in this glorious, glorious text. And I love this. It refreshes my soul. And the blood of Jesus, continuing on in verse 7, His Son cleanses us from all sin. Praise God. Amen? Verse 8. Here we go. If we say we have no sin, who gets deceived? Me. You. And the truth is not in us. However, pendulum swing again. If we confess with the mouth, we say the same thing. He is faithful and just to forgive, to pardon our sins, and to go one step further to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. However, here's the last warning from Scripture. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. I don't know if we really understand the magnitude of not living in the truth. For the true believer, it's not an option. Oh Lord, teach us Your way. That we may walk in Your truth where there's freedom, where there's hope, where there's identity, where there's security. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. Well, here's the final petition to this prayer and David says this unite my heart to fear your name i want you to think about something here i want you to think about this so this uniting i want you to picture picture this uniting this uniting is this that there will be a unity to the lord and the bond will never be broken When David cries out and says, Teach me your way, crush my way, exterminate my will, my plans, my agenda, my dreams, my hopes, and dial me in to your path, O God, and that I might walk in truth, not deception, light, not darkness. He says, I want to have a unified heart to you, O God, that's not divided. What happens to me and you when we have a divided heart? Ever been there before? Your heart's torn between two things? Could be seemingly two good things. What happens? Well, the Bible says this, a house divided cannot stand. A heart divided will be crushed. We're either all for Him, Jesus says, or you're against Me. You can't ride the fence because Satan owns the fence. And the psalmist here, again, we don't know where he is in this journey of life, but I know this, when I read this prayer, when I read these 17 verses, something has happened in his life because he is just pleading with a desperation, oh God, teach me your way, I want to walk in truth, no longer deception. I want to walk in your truth, your truth, your way, not my truth, not my way. I want to walk in you. Oh, by the way, God please, oh God, please, unite me in such a way that I will begin to fear, to hallow, to holy all oh, in reverence your name in all of the earth. Oh, what, a, what a glorious, what a glorious thought that is, amen you begin to hallow His name in your life, there's nothing greater than to walk in truth and freedom. See, the enemy is all about creating discord and division. Who's doing the uniting? Not a trick question. The Lord. See, if our hearts are united with God, think about this if they're united with Him, there won't be any division towards Him. Just think about this for a moment. If your heart is united with Him, there will not be any division towards Him. See, the outflow is always the key. That's why you hallow first. That's why you run hard after His glory first. That's why you crush your will. I crush my will. We do all this first because everything else is an outflow. So many people I know, even inside the American church and all of my travels, they're searching for the American dream. And what they realize is once they get there, they experience the American nightmare. It's false. It's like you're in the desert, right? And and you're so thirsty and you become a little loopy. And you think, there it is, right? There's the oasis. And you get there. And it's a cactus. That's what so many people are doing. It's called exchanging the truth of God for the lie. You get used to the darkness. You're walking it long enough. Everything's a lark. And before you know it, we're actually working for the enemy. God says no. No. Walk in my truth. Holy Spirit, will You speak to our hearts today? Oh, Holy Spirit, will You move in this place today? Will You teach us, O oh Lord, Your way that I might, that we might walk in Your truth because we want to be united with You and united to one another. Oh God, cause us, oh God, cause us right now to fear Your name. Oh, I pray. I pray the Holy Spirit would move and just move in power. That's why key number three is key. And it's also overly creative. Unity to God involves fearing his name, period. Unity to God involves fearing his name, period. Remember, go back, go all the way back to the first part of the verse, it's all an outflow. Teach truth, unite fear teach truth unite fear teach truth unite fear what's the teaching it's an archer it's an archer aiming you're aiming towards the lord his glory his praise you don't want anything of you i don't want anything of me god we check our agendas at the door and we're like god what do you want to do how do you want to move how do you want to show off your glory to all of the hundreds upon hundreds of people all around this building that if they died today would go to a hell where you are not fear, holy awe and reverence. That's why Proverbs 9, verse 10, I I get asked a lot. People will say, I need wisdom for this decision. Okay. Hey, join the club. People ask me all the time, how can I pray for you? What do I tell you guys? Give me wisdom, Lord, please. Like I desperately need wisdom. Left to my own devices, I will make poor, sinful decisions. Oh God, teach me to pray. I tell people when they want wisdom, I say Proverbs 9.10, another easy one to remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insider understanding. Commit that to memory. Write it on the tablet of your heart that you might not sin against Him. Fearing God. It's the beginning. A holy awe and reverence. A hallowing His name. Saying, God, do the work in my life. and Oh God, just create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. That's the beginning of wisdom. For you that are walking in that, praise be to Jesus. Because Psalm 34, 7 through 9 says it like this. Psalm 34, 7 through 9 says it like this. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Pause there for a moment. That's a hallelujah shout and time verse. Amen. Man, I want a whole bunch of angels encamping around me. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. Hallow His name. Do you have angels that are camping around you? And He delivers them. Verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you believe that today, Church? Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge, shelter in him that you hide under his pavilion. How do you hide under his pavilion? You get rid of you. I get rid of me. We say, God, we just want all of you and none of us. Oh, verse nine, fear the Lord. There it is. You, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Question for me and you today, do you have lack? If you trace that verse backwards, it'll explain where we're deficient. It's all about the fear of the Lord. That's why our mission statement is this. We exist for the glory of God. We exist to hallow His name. We exist for Him to sanctify His name in us. We exist for nothing more than that His name and His fame might be high and lifted up through Chester and beyond. That's why we exist. And what happens? Well, we then become disciples that go and make them. It all starts with the fear of the Lord. Well, that's why the takeaway question is this. Would those who really know me say that I am humble and teachable? Kind of a trick question there, right? If again, you're, hey, I'm humble. But the point is, what do others say? When others leave your presence or leave my presence, do they say, wow, that person's not perfect, but there's a humility, there's a teachability, a coachability about them. Boy, when I leave their presence, they fear God's name. They hollow His name. It's really difficult, I've learned over the years, to hide humility and teachability Just like it's really difficult to hide pridefulness. It's real hard. You can try, but at some point, the good will be exposed and so will the bad. It's going to come out. say, how do you know? Well, the Bible says so. Make everything in your life a biblical issue. Every question you have, run to the truth of God's Word. Like, run to the truth of God's Word. You say, well, where does it say that? Well, when you think about the glorious, glorious text in Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. you got to remember that one. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. It talks so beautifully about what the Lord looks for. Those who fear Him, those who obey His Word. Why? Because He's going to bring every work, every work, whether good or evil, into judgment. Everything's going to be exposed that should frighten me, and that should frighten you. It doesn't mean we're not saved. But there's going to be the exposing of what we've done. Are you humble? Am I humble? Are you teachable? When those who are not walking with the Lord see Jesus in you, again, that will be greatly offensive to them. Just be prepared. It's part of it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, People are going to hate you for my name. They're going to hate you. It's offensive. It's offensive to them. They don't want to be around people who are walking in truth or who want to promote truth. They want to walk in darkness and lukewarmness. That's why the action step, I think, gives a kind of a bow to this, if you will. But here's the action step. By the power of the Holy Spirit, always key, don't go in your own strength. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will seek to live a life of teachability and fearing God's name. So here's the key on this. I want to give you one more passage of Scripture. Write down 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. Just write this down because here's the reality. So if you've heard nothing, listen to this. Unless the Holy Spirit does the illuminating work in your heart, my heart, your child's life, your parent's life, your brother's heart, fill in the blank. Whoever today that, that you are praying for that needs the Lord to grip them, get a hold of them, shake them to the core, unless the Holy Spirit does the work, it's like you or I are speaking a foreign language to that person. You say, how do you know? Well, we make it a biblical issue? Here it is. Listen closely. First Corinthians 2. 10 through 16. Here's what Paul writes to the jacked-up church in Corinth that was divided and so many sin issues. He said this, these things, verse 10, God has revealed to us, how church? Through the capital S Spirit. Interesting, make a note of that. For the capital S Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit, little s, of that person which is in him. Very interesting. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now latch on to that. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, he's talking to believers, but the spirit, capital S, who is from God. Here's the so that, I love this that we might understand the things freely given us by God. There it is. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, He illuminates the truth of God's Word. He illuminates this stuff. You go, this is amazing. If you're here today and you're a church attender and a church goer, but the reality is you really have not given your life to Jesus, this isn't going to make much sense. But when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, you see as this goes on, and I love this, verse 13 And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the capital S Spirit interpreting spiritual truths. You catch that? To those who are spiritual. The natural person, the unsaved person, the person who's not rescued, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Hmm. For they are folly. They are foolishness to Him. And He is not able, He's not capable to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. 16, here it is. This is so glorious. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. If you're truly saved, you have the mind of Christ. If you're truly saved, you don't want to walk in darkness. If you're truly saved, you don't want to rebel. If you're truly saved, you don't want to be defiant. If you're truly saved, the Lord will be doing that work in my heart and your heart that all we want to do is say, Oh God, teach me. God, teach me your way. Teach me your way that I might walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And oh God, lead me, lead me in the way everlasting. Oh Father, we come before you. And Father, I'm thinking of what Bonhoeffer said and what a deep truth it is. Warning, warning to, to those who are listening today and that are playing games with God. Warning. If you board the wrong train, he said, it is no use running along the corridor in the other direction. Oh God, I pray. I pray with a passion, with a fervency, with a pleading, for those that are here today, for those that are listening, that are on the wrong train. They thank because they've raised a hand and said a prayer and signed a card and even got baptized, they're somehow on the right train. God, You're not looking for external change. You're looking for internal transformation that only comes through the righteous royal blood of King Jesus through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, as we worship You, we simply say, Oh God, teach us your way. Holy Spirit, right now, move. Move in might. Move in power. Teach us your way. That we may walk in your truth, not the world's truth, not our own truth. There's only one truth, and his name is Jesus. Unite. Unite our hearts to fear you. Unite our hearts to you, God. Unite our hearts to one another. I pray against the schemes of the enemy. I pray against his lies, his deception, his vices. I pray against any oppression that's here today, God. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, oh Lord, teach us to pray. God, would you move? Would you have free reign in this place today? For the one who's never given their life to you, God, I pray they'll step out right now and through humility and teachability, begin to pray. Holy Spirit, would You move? Don't allow us to leave here just another Sunday. Shake us to the core. Move in power. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.